morning, everyone. So good to be with all of you here today. For those of you who do not know who I am, I am Pastor Jim. I'm the youth and kids pastor here at Living Word. And I said this in the first service. So what that means is I get to work with some of the coolest people in our entire church, which is our youth and kids workers. And why don't we just give a hand for our youth and kids workers? These are the ones that are just, they're just knocking out of the park. They're doing such a great job uh, ministering to your kids and your teenagers. And also, not only do I get to serve with some really cool people, but I get to serve some really cool people, which are your kids, your teenagers, your grandkids, your grandkids who are teenagers. And um, it's been a really exciting season for LWAG student ministries from zero to the 18 ministries. We've seen some really cool growth the past year. And one thing I thought was pretty cool is we had over 450 people between the ages of zero and 18 attend a service either on Sunday morning or Wednesday night here at Living Word. 450. Now, in context, there are only 2,000 people between the ages of zero and 18 that live in Ontario. So that's, that's pretty stinking amazing. Isn't it cool what God is doing? And I, um, I have a, a cool story because what's exciting is these new people are hearing the gospel. But what's also cool is the church kids, the kids that grow up and who are Christians here, are having a chance to live out the gospel. And I didn't tell this story first service, so you are getting a special extra story, which means you'll eat your lunch probably three minutes later. But... Um, <laughs> But what was really cool is we have small groups on Wednesday night, and my wife Allison was telling me about how in her small group, she co-leads it with, um, it's a group for 7th through ninth grade girls. There was this new girl who was not a Christian, who didn't have a Christian background, and she was in her small group, and they asked her the question, do you believe in God? And she said no. And so that got everyone like, oh, really? So, so why don't you believe in God? And she said, because when I pray and when I seek him, he never responds. I never feel like he's there. And so all the girls in Allison's group that were the Christian church girls began to speak encouragement into her life and began to say, uh, well, I believe in God because of this, and God is like this, and God is this to me, and here's why I believe in God, and in a very encouraging tone. And after the small group was over, one of the girls went up. The girl's name is Lily Sylvester. I don't know if she's here today. But one of these, our little eighth grade girl came up and says, just so you know, God is there for you even when he feels like he isn't. And just so you know, God always loves you, and we care about you too. How awesome is that? And what's really cool is, like a month later, they asked the same question in the small group. Do you believe that God is true? And this girl answered that had before answered with a firm no to a kind of, maybe, sort (laughs) of. How cool is that to see lives begin to change? And, and it's really cool because our Christian students are being equipped with the gospel to live out the mission as we form biblical communities together. And no class has done as good of a job as our class of 2015. Our class of 2015, within that class, eight of those graduates have preached a sermon on Wednesday night. Fourteen of those graduates have actually led a small group. How cool is that? And um, so many more have served in their community, served at in kids' church or different ministries. And it's exciting to see this class that is carrying out the mission of Jesus Christ. And so it's an exciting class, and we are going to celebrate them today. Um, but before we do that, we wanted to, to remember and honor someone who is, who is no longer with us, someone who would have graduated this year but unfortunately passed away. Um, Some of you probably have heard, but Anna Rose uh, Shove passed away, and she would have been a graduate this year. And you might not know this, but her grandmother, Ruth, has been 
um, hopefully I'm allowed to say this, like a pillar of our church. She's been here from the very beginning, and she's someone that we just love and we just honor. And this can be a really tough time for her and her family. And so we wanted to show some love and compassion to Ruth today. So Ruth, would you come up here? We have some flowers for you, and we just want to let you know that we love you, that we're here for you, and that we appreciate you. Scott is, he's in here some, oh, <laughs> hello, <laughs> I accept these for my daughter and her husband, Scott, Scott, where are you, I, I look for you, oh, there he is, okay, so. thank you very much, I know Anna's with Jesus, she couldn't be in a better place, and I'm waiting for the day I go with her, amen. <laughs> Right now, we're going to celebrate our grads, and we're going to celebrate the things that they have accomplished, but we're also going to send them off into the world. And so what we're going to do is we have a gift for our grads. So I'm going to call you graduate by your name, and you'll come over to uh, my lovely wife, Allison, over here. She'll give you a gift, and then you'll go all the way to the other side. And parents, stay back. I'll call you forward when we pray for them. But first, we have uh, Noah Avery. Noah Avery, you can come on down. Noah, I feel like the price is right. Come on down. <laughs> Noah Avery graduated from, no. Noah Avery graduated from Williamson High School, and he plans on attending FLCC for whatever God leads. Um, next we have, is Darian Boyer here? Darian Boyer, you can come on down. Darian is a graduate from his homeschool program, and he plans to pursue the Lord, the Lord's will for his life. And, after that, we have Donna, Donna Borschlein, who was a graduate from Wayne High School, and she plans to go to, we'll save the applause for the end. <laughs> she plans to go to Marone Community College, the Damon campus, for education K through 6, and she hopes to study abroad in a Spanish-speaking country where she'll pursue missions. After that, we have Jonah Crandall, who is a graduate from Wayne High School, and he plans to attend university, or sorry, university, Regent University for film, cinematography, and broadcast journalism. Now we have Carson Davis, who is a graduate from Monroe High, who is, going, who is enrolled in the United States Marine Corps. Now we have Elizabeth DeFisher, a graduate from Williamson High School, and she plans to go to Houghton College and majoring in accounting. Now we have Colby Drace. Come on down, Colby. He's a, he is a graduate from Charles Finney High School, and he plans to attend Geneva College, where he'll study chemical engineering. Now we have Felicia N. Kunzer. I'm saying that wrong, and I'm sorry. Um, she's a, she graduated from Wayne High, and she's going to FLCC for two years, finishing up at the U of Oswego as an enforcement officer. Now we have Abby Lash. She's a graduate from uh, Wayne High School, and she's going to go to FLCC, and she's, um, she's undetermined what she wants to major in. 
Now we have Sam Mayo from Williamson High School, and she's going to attend Roberts Wesleyan College for Nursing. And then I think this will be our last one, which is Chloe Wathen, who graduated from home, a homeschooling program and plans to pursue missions. And so right now, if our grads, you guys could spread out across the front here. And if our parents um, or close fa- family members would like to come up um, and come up with your grad, we're going to spend the time in prayer for them so you guys can come down at this moment. And church, I would encourage you as we pray to continue to pray for them too because they're about to enter the next season of their life. They're about to enter adulthood and we hope that they will continue to live for God. They will continue to live out the mission of God and that they'll be with them. So as the parents come down, why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for all these students. We're thankful for who they are, God. We're thankful for what you've already done in their lives. And we pray right now, Lord, that you would begin to work in their hearts. We pray that as they go off into the next phase of their lives, God, that they would be successful, God, successful in their careers, Lord, but also successful in their pursuit to know you. Lord, we pray that you would just give them peace and comfort. Lord, we pray that their faith, when it is tested, God, that they would stand firm in you. Again, we just pray that you would bless them, that you would protect them, and God, that you would be with them, Lord. We're so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful for what you've done in these students' lives, and we can't wait to see what you have next for them. Be with them and go before them, Lord. And we just pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for our grads as they take a seat. You guys can take your gifts, take a seat. I always get to to speak in the grad services. This is my third year um, doing these grad services. And every time I do, I can't help but think back to when I was first a college student, which was seven years ago. Seven years ago when I was 18, I was getting ready to go off to college. And I, as an 18-year-old, was probably like many other 18-year-olds. I believed I was a stud. (laughs) I thought... I was hot stuff. I thought I was an amazing person. And so because I had this inflated image of who I was, I knew when I went to my Christian college, which was the University of Valley Forge, everyone else would agree. And I would be elected the king of Valley Forge. (laughs) And I, I like went into this fantasy world. And the summer before college, I legitimately began to think and dream about what college would be like. I pictured walking in the halls and all the girls like wanting to date me. I pictured being... People laugh because they know me, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> that would never happen. Why did you think that? And then, and then so I pictured that. I pictured being in class and, like, giving these words of wisdom, and the pre- professor would be like, wow, you should teach this. And, like, they move aside. I come up. I lecture to the class, and I'm greeted by a standing ovation as everyone is in awe of my wisdom. <laughs> like, this is the person I thought I was, which is ridiculous. But I had it all in my mind. But I was like, maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm not as studly as I think, so I should come up with a plan. So I had a plan, and first was I grabbed all these Christian pickup lines to use on the ladies, and I have one up here. Um, And so I had these pickup lines I knew would work and that would help me out. (laughs) Single guys, there's some advice for you right there. Try it. And so 
I, I had that ready. I, orchest- I carefully orchestrated a very in-depth wardrobe, so I knew what I was going to wear for the first three months of my time in college. And it was starting with this bright red shirt so that I would make an impact when I walked into the school. Everyone would see me. And so I was all ready. Everything was good. I was ready to accept my identity as the king of Valley Forge. But then I got there. (laughs) And my mom left. (laughs) And I was all alone. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I was all alone with a roommate in the top bunk who I was pretty sure wanted to kill me. And I was like, things are not going as planned. Girls were not responding to my pickup lines, even though they were amazing. You saw it. Girls, guys were not rushing to be my friends, and never once did I get a standing ovation when I gave an answer in class. I couldn't understand it. Why was my identity as the King of Valley Forge not working out? So quickly, my identity that I had created for myself had vanished. So I was left to find a new one. So I thought, here's what I'll be. I'll find my identity as the president of the freshman class. So I ran and I was elected as president of the, the I can't say it, president of the freshman class. And quickly I realized nobody actually cares about the president of the freshman class. So I was like, all right, I need a better identity. So I, I found a new one as the generous friend. I had saved up a ton of money when I was in high school. And so I would buy my friends all kinds of stuff. I would give them rides and not charge gas money. But what happens when you spend your money and you don't make any money? It goes away. And so I ended up being broke. And so I couldn't be the generous friend anymore. So I was stuck finding a new identity. So I found an identity in my relationship. And this relationship I had that I thought was amazing. The only problem was the girl I was dating didn't think it was amazing. So she dumped me. And so, and so I was left to find a new identity because that identity worked out. And so constantly, again, I am a Christian, constantly searching for these different identities. And I was left my college year constantly asking three questions. I was always asking myself, who am I? Who do I want to be? And what makes me matter? Now, these are questions that I think our grads are wrestling with today. They're wrestling with these questions, and they're just as relevant in their lives. But this isn't, an 18, this isn't a question that's exclusive for 18-year-olds. I think these are questions that we wrestle with our entire lives. I think they're questions. I think we're constantly searching for an identity. And I think Pastor Barden, he's done a great job the last uh, six weeks talking about that because it's crucial. All of us are searching for an identity. So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to answer these questions in your head. Be honest with yourself and answer these questions. Who are you? What comes to mind? Who do you want to be? What comes to mind? And what makes you matter? Your answers to these questions probably reflect something you find your identity in. We're all searching for an identity. But is there an identity that we can actually count on? Wouldn't it be really cool if there was both a perfect and permanent identity that we could find rest in? Well, many people will never actually find their identity in something both perfect and permanent, which brought the Apostle Paul to tears. The Apostle Paul was a man who at one point had found his identity and his success and he had found his, I'm sorry, his status and he had found his identity and his religious behavior. And so he writes this. He says, 
I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So this guy, that was his sheet that he would brag about. Now, To me, that sounds like a weird thing to brag about. I don't usually hear people brag that way. Usually, like if you're at a party, someone, I've never been at a party and someone was like, you know what, I just got this huge raise and I have this really nice car. And someone else was like, you know what, I'm a Hebrew's Hebrew. They're like, what? And then someone else, now this would be really weird. Someone else was, no, 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 I can top that. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. We'd be like... Are you crazy? What are you talking about, man? Those aren't things we normally brag about. And if you do brag about those things, we need to talk after service. But but back 2,000 years, this would give you some serious street cred. When Paul is bragging about these things, what he's essentially saying is, I have all the signs of a highly religious person. I have all the signs of someone who is a member and a highly respectable member of God's nation, which is Israel. And so if you were to ask Paul who he was, he would say, I am a Hebrew's Hebrew. If you ask Paul, um, who do you want to be? He would probably say the most religious or the, the greatest Pharisee ever. And if you ask Paul what mattered or what makes him matter, he would probably say the good things he did. And so can you imagine the stress Paul must have been under to maintain his identity His identity was being a better person than everyone in the world. So he had to make sure you never saw him being anything less than the best person in the entire world. His identity could be taken from him if we were to see him fail. And also his identity could be taken from him if people stopped respecting Jewish leaders. And that's exactly what was happening to Paul. Paul was in a a time where people were no longer, Paul believed that you were saved by living out the Jewish law. He thought you were saved through obeying the Jewish law. But people were saying, no, salvation is actually through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. People were telling Paul, the thing your life is all about isn't what life is all about. And so Paul, like a bear trapped in a corner, begins to lash out. And he begins to attack the people that are attacking his identity. He begins to kill the people that are promoting an identity that's different than his. Paul's identity begins to destroy him. This guy whose identity is based in in him doing good things is doing evil. This guy who wants to be known for a good person is murdering people. And so Paul, later in life, after seeing how his destructive, his identity was, his his, uh, weak identity was, he says this. He says, He says, I say it again with tears in my eyes. There are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. Paul mourns for those with messed up identities like he once had. He mourns for those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word enemy of the cross of Christ, I picture a guy like this right here, who's like this angry dude who's, got, who's probably a devil worshiper. If not, he just really hates Christians. And I picture him like holding rocks and just like throwing them at the church or throwing them at Christians. Like that's what I think of when I think of an enemy of the cross of Christ. But as I began to study this passage, it began to reveal to me that it wasn't just 
these type of people, but it encompassed a bigger group of people than the angry people we would think of. There was one group called the Judaizers, who were people that were just trying to convert Christians basically back into believing that the Jewish law saved them. But it wasn't just them too. Paul is talking about many people. He's talking about a wide-stretching group of people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And as I was reading one commentary, something really cool, I found this quote that I thought was really cool. When they talk about this, it said, The cross stands as utter contradiction to human wisdom or power. Therefore, it creates enemies. The cross stands for salvation in something that human wisdom and human power can obtain. And so what this commentary began to say is that to be an enemy of the cross of Christ means that you find salvation in something other than the cross of Christ. It's not just about being an angry person who hates Christians, but it's about any time we love something more than God. So if you think that education will save you, if you think education is the means that will save this world, then you, and you think that's more so than God, then you are becoming an enemy of the cross of Christ. If you love your kids more than God, you can become an enemy of the cross of Christ. If you enjoy comforts or if you enjoy and overly pursue pleasures more so than, the, than Jesus, if you believe those things will save you, you can become an enemy of the cross of Christ. It's not just doing bad things, but it's when we love our good things more than we love God. All of those things can make us enemies of the cross of Christ. And when we are enemies of the cross of Christ who only think about the things of this earth, Paul says that kind of life leads to destruction. So I think many of you here probably find your identity as a parent. You want to be these guys up here. You want to be super dad. You've got your little, I don't even know, it's not really a fanny pack because it's not on your fanny, but it's like a, I don't know what you call that, but you want to be known as the greatest dad in the world or the greatest mom in the world. And you find your security in how good of a parent you are. And in turn, you find your security in how good your kids are. And so when your kids start to be bad, you start to feel a little insecure. And when your kids start to be bad in public, you start to feel really insecure. You know, your kids are the ones throwing all the groceries down at at Wegmans or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, I hope no one saw that. And the kids that you found your security in are causing your greatest source of insecurity. Some of you find your security in your job. You love your job and you feel really good when you get raises and promotions and you feel really secure when things are going well. But you feel really insecure when someone else gets the promotion. You start to feel really insecure when someone talks about your job and writes you a bad review about how you've done or someone tells, choose, your boss chews you out and tells you you're doing a poor job. You start to feel insecure. And when you lose your job, you feel like your life has no meaning. The source of your security causes you insecurity. Others of you find your security in a relationship and you feel so secure when you're with that person. You feel so secure when you're with that person. But when that person pays attention to someone else, you begin to feel really insecure. And you're always afraid and you'll do anything to keep that person with you because you're so afraid that person will leave you. The thing you find your security in causes you to be insecure. And others of you, I believe, find your security in your reputation. You feel good about yourself when you do good. You feel secure when you do good things. But you are so afraid and you are so insecure, other people will see the real you. They'll see that you're a fraud. In all those instances and in everything here on this earth that we find our identity in, the source of our greatest security also becomes the source of our greatest insecurities. 
Did you get that? The things that you find your identity in here are causing you, you're the source of your greatest security is causing you your greatest insecurities. No matter what you find your identity in, it won't be good enough. The things on this earth make horrible saviors. We need a better one. And a better savior is exactly what the apostle Paul found. He says this, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, meaning his old life or his old identity. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. So Paul, after spending his whole life chasing an identity that would let him down, finally finds his identity in the one perfect and permanent thing. He finds his identity in Jesus Christ. Now the Bible tells us about how at one time we all found our identities in Jesus. We all found our identities in him. But, but somehow that changed. We all sinned, which separated us from God. And there was no way for us to reconnect ourselves to God. There was nothing we could do to reconnect ourselves to our true Savior. So we began to look at things on this earth as saviors. And like I already said, none of these things here can give us salvation on this earth. But also, none of these things can give us eternal salvation. Think about it. If you're a Christian, or even if you're here and you're not a Christian, but you have some idea or some belief that there is an afterlife, or that you're at least open to the idea that there's this possibility of a heaven that you could go to after you die, surely you would say that if you need something to help you get you there, your wife or your husband isn't going to help you to get there. They can't get you there. Surely they can't. And definitely your kids can't get you there. Probably the way that you, you get angry at your kids might keep you going to somewhere else. But surely your kids can't be good enough or somehow get you to heaven. Surely your job or your money or all these different things couldn't actually get you to heaven if you needed something to get you there. And that's what the Bible says. The gospel reveals that we needed something else to get us to heaven. We need something else to save us. But it not only says that these things of the earth can't save us, but by loving them more than God, they actually condemn us. See, sin is loving something more than God. And when we find our identity in something other than God, we begin to love it more than God. And that is sin. And the consequence and the punishment of sin is death. Now, some of you here are like, that, that just sounds really harsh. I can't understand how that could be true. Like, I don't like that idea that we could, just by not loving God, we could go to hell and have eternal death. That sounds rough. And I agree with you. That is a tough truth to, to grasp. And I don't have a lot of time to dig into that, but I will say this, is that our view on that is based on how beautiful and how amazing and how perfect we think our God is. He is so great that to love anything more than him is such a horrible thing that it deserves death. It's one of the things we believe. But what is so cool about our God and why we think he's so great and why we think he's so good is that he is also gracious and merciful. Our God didn't allow us to just experience death, but he came to make a way for us to experience salvation. Jesus Christ, God the Son, left heaven and came to earth on a rescue mission to save all of us. Jesus came so that we could be reconnected with our one true identity. He came so that we could be reconnected to God. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died the death we deserve to give us the reward that only he deserves. He took our punishment for sin to offer us a chance to find our identity again in God. 
He offered us the chance to be citizens of heaven. The things we find our identity in will destroy us. But Jesus Christ was destroyed for us. The things we find our identity in will always make us work to maintain them and work to keep them. But Jesus Christ did the work for us on the cross. The things we find our identity in can be taken away, but Jesus Christ will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus is so much better than anything else you're finding your identity in. He's so much better than the thing you worship. And when Paul finally saw Jesus, his life was changed. He counted all his old identities as worthless. He counted it as worthless. And instead, he found supreme value in Jesus Christ. And he was so transformed by who Jesus was, he wanted to see all of us do that too. He wanted all of us to see who Jesus was and find our identity in Jesus. And so Paul encourages us to find our identity in God too. And he says that some people, some people are enemies of the cross. He says many people are enemies of the cross, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Stay true to the Lord. We are offered a new identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus died so that we could have an identity in him. And if you're here today and you are not a Christian, that offer that was offered to Paul is still offered to you. You have the opportunity to be a citizen of heaven. You have an an opportunity to be with Jesus and have him cover your sins. Jesus died for you. Will you find your identity in him? But here's what I think is really crazy about this whole thing. Paul isn't writing this to people who aren't saved. Paul wrote this letter to Christians. And not just any type of Christian, but mature Christians. This was probably Paul's favorite church. This was the church that was doing it right, that was living out the mission of God, that was, that was being the Christians that we would probably think are amazing, that they were the mature believers. And yet Paul writes to them the gospel message. And if you look in Philippians chapter 2, which is the letter Paul sent to this church, it's covered and enriched in the gospel. And then he moves on from there to begin to tell them, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did for you. You Find your identity in him. Find your hope and the promise that you have through his death and resurrection. Jesus is writing this letter to Christians and he's saying, Christians, hear the gospel message. Christians, find your identity in Christ. But they're Christians, right? (laughs) Like, don't they already do that? As Christians, we find our identity in Christ, right? So why why does Paul feel the need to remind Christians to find their identity in Christ? Has anyone here ever um, heard of the Bourne series? Anyone here heard of the Bourne? It's a series of books and movies. Uh, The Bourne Identity and its 17 sequels. Talk about this guy. Maybe not that many, but a lot. Talk about this guy named Jason Bourne who has lost his identity. And so he goes on a quest to find his identity. And along the way, he like fights a bunch of people. It's pretty cool. And so I've heard of this, but what I never realized was this book and these movies were inspired by a guy that lived in the 1800s, a guy named Ansel Bourne. And so that's Ansel Bourne right there. And he's got some rocking facial hair going on. (laughs) Hashtag Wayne County. (laughs) And so... On, uh, on January uh, 17th, let me get the year right, 1887, Ansel Bourne decided to go to a trip to Providence, Rhode Island, but somehow he ended up in Norristown, Pennsylvania. And so he shows up at Norristown, Pennsylvania, and he opens up a store under the name Albert J. Brown. 
So Ansel Bourne starts going under the name Albert J. Brown. And for two months, he tells everyone, I'm Albert J. Brown. This is my story. I'm Albert J. Brown. Everyone knew him as Albert J. Brown. But then one morning, he woke up and he had no idea where he was. And he was so confused and he walks out. Two months later, on March 15th, he walks out of his, his house and he looks around and people are calling him Albert. And he's going, no, no, my name is Ansel. He had no memory of the previous two months. He still thought he was back in his home. He didn't realize he had come here. He had no idea who this Albert J. Brown was. And so he went back and his story was really weird. So they were like, we got to research this guy. And it turns out that he um, is probably the first ever documented case of a psychiatric disorder known as the fugue state, which is a form of amnesia where you and I want to look at this right, uh, get this right, a form of amnesia that causes a person to lose their identity for a short period of time before it all rapidly comes back to them. And so I, I found an article, and according to an article I read that cites a psychology professor at Harvard, it says that fugue is a state in which an individual has lost their identity. They don't know who they are. The article goes on to say, Unlike the fictional Jason Bourne, who immediately tried to find his identity, victims in the fugue state don't even realize anything has gone wrong. Now, grads, I got something for you to try when you're at school. So what I want you to do is just skip class for a week. And then, yeah, starting out with great advice. And so then go up to your professor when they're like, dude, where were you the last week? Tell them, oh, I'm so sorry. I was in a fugue state. I thought I was a potato farmer. I'm so sorry, man. I'll, I'll, I'll be back in class this week and just see what happens. I know what happens. You'll fail the class, but you should just try it. It'll be cool. But could you imagine actually being in a fugue state? Like one day you're Bob the farmer and the next day you're Stefan the figure skater. Like <laughs> how crazy would that be? Yeah, here's what I think. I think many of us are living in a fugue state. I think many of us have become one thing in Christ, but are living as if we are something else, as if we are someone else. Paul knew, and the reason that Paul writes this letter, and the reason why Paul constantly preaches the gospel to Christians, is he knows that oftentimes Christians fall into fugue states, and they need to be encouraged about who Jesus is and how they have an identity in him. I told you guys earlier how when I was in college, I, I, again, I was a Christian and I was definitely living in a fugue state where I was searching for all these different identities, trying to find another identity. And I didn't come out of that fugue state when I, was, when I started full-time ministry. After I graduated, I became a full-time youth pastor and we were at a youth group with about 10 to 12 kids. It was a smaller youth group. But over time, the youth group started to grow and to grow and to grow. And people started to think I was a really good youth pastor. And I loved it. And I began to place my identity in my job. I began to place my identity as a youth pastor. But the problem was to keep my identity up as a successful youth pastor, I had to make sure that every single week was bigger than the week before. And so I would work crazy, insane hours. I would always push myself to try to get to the place where our youth group was continuously growing. And I would do things like I would never say no to anyone. If someone asked me to do something, I would do it. Even if I didn't have time to do it, even if I didn't think I could do it, I would do it because I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't the perfect youth pastor. 
And when people would get upset with me and write me letters about how they were mad at me, it would stink so bad because I wanted them to believe the identity that I had created for myself. I wanted them to believe I was a perfect youth pastor. And so after about nine months in as a youth pastor, our youth group was about five times the size and things had never been better, but I had never been worse. At the peak of our growth, I crashed. It was a a Sunday after youth convention, and we had just taken a bunch of our students to um, a youth convention, and a lot of them we had been discipling for nine months, gave their hearts to Christ. It was a really cool time, and it was like, again, just like the high season of our ministry. And I was at church the following Sunday, and a guy jokingly came up to me and said, you blew it, just jokingly. And I started to cry. I started to cry, and I started to cry, and the guy's like, what? And like walks away. He's like, here's Pastor Jim just crying in the middle of everyone. And so I'm bawling. I can't stop. And so I go home. I go to sleep right away. And I I wake up the next morning and I'm still crying and I can't get out of bed. I'm like, what is going on? And so I skip work that day. And so the next day, the same thing. I wake up, but I'm, I'm not crying, but I have these intense chest pains going on. I feel like my heart is about to explode. I legitimately believed that I was having a heart attack and I asked my mom to call 911 because I thought I was going to die. Like I legitimately, that's how intense these pains were. And so we don't call 911, we just go to our doctor. And the doctor, I go to the doctor with my dad and they they check me out and he goes, there's nothing physically wrong with you. But I'm like, dude, you must be crazy because the amount of pain I'm feeling right now in my chest, like I'm having a heart attack. Something is wrong. So I force them to send me to another doctor. And this other doctor runs the scan. And so my dad and I are sitting in the waiting room and the doctor walks out with this huge smile and he goes, I've got great news for you. There's nothing physically wrong with you. And me and my dad both just start to cry which probably freaked the doctor out because he's like, I just gave them good news. Why are they crying? So he walks away and my dad and I are crying and we're like, what are we going to do? So I go to my other doctor. I go back to the doctor and he says, you're showing signs of depression and you're showing signs of extreme stress. And he forced me to take a week off of work. He said, you cannot work this next week. You need to leave. Now that was kind of crushing my identity as the perfect youth pastor that could do anything. My doctor just told me, you can't work for a week. And so I was dating Allison at the time and um, I was being really vague with what was going on and I knew she was getting really nervous but I was too embarrassed to tell her what was going on because I wanted her to think I was the perfect youth pastor. I was okay with her being hurt but I wasn't okay with her thinking I wasn't perfect. And so I, I left for a week and I was gone for a week and I um, took my break and I came back and I was doing a little better but it was, I was still living in my fugue state and it wasn't until... A few months later, I was at this conference and I heard a message, a message I had heard a million times. When I say that I've been a Christian my whole life, um, I, my dad is a pastor, my grandfather's a pastor, my great-great-grandmother started churches in Indiana. I've been to so many churches, I can't tell you. Or, or I've been into so many services and I've heard so many messages. And this one message I had heard literally hundreds, if not thousands of times, It was a message I believed and it was a message that had already changed me a little bit. It had already changed me and I believe it was a message that had saved me. A message that if I were to die because I believed it, I would have gone to heaven. But it was a message I still was desperate in need of hearing. Despite my Bible school, despite all those things, I was in desperate need of hearing this message. And the message that the guy spoke was this. Jesus Christ died for your sins. It's through his death and resurrection that you are saved, not your works. 
You preach to me the gospel message. I'm a gospel preacher. I'm, I believe this. I'm a Christian. And I, again, I would say if I died, I would have went to heaven, but I still needed to hear that message. I hadn't matured beyond the gospel message. It was the one thing that could change my heart and my life. The gospel message is the one thing that changes our hearts and lives. The reason that Paul, over and over again, every time he writes a letter to the Christian, what does he preach? The gospel is because that is the one thing that motivates us. That is the one thing that changes us. And it's the one thing that can change you. The one thing that will get you out of the fuchs that you're living in is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. What I learned through that experience is the way to get a Christian out of a fugue state or the way to get a Christian to stop finding his identity in one thing and into a new thing is to preach the gospel to themselves. Again, that sounds weird. What does that mean? What it means is reflecting on who Jesus is, reflecting on what he's done for you. As you worship, as you pray, as you read, as you listen to sermons and podcasts and messages, as you hear the gospel message, you'll see a bitter, bigger picture of who God is. And it, like Paul said, as you see who Jesus is, your old identities will become worthless. Now I try, to, I try to preach the gospel to myself every day. And I'm starting to shift and I'm start, I still find my identities in other things and different parts of the gospel speak to me at different moments of my life. But little by little, I'm beginning to find my identity in Christ. So that when I answer the question, who am I? I answer with, I am a citizen of Christ. When I answer the question, who do I want to be? I answer with someone who lives and finds rest in Jesus Christ. And now, and this has been the hardest thing for me, is that I want to answer the question, what makes me matter with Jesus' work for me on the cross? Guys, I think many of you here who are Christians today are living in a fugue state. You believe in Jesus and you probably would die and go to heaven. But ultimately, there's something else that's fighting for you to place your identity in. There's something else that you're finding your identity in. And what you need to do today is to come out of your fugue state and to find rest in Jesus Christ. Christians, get out of your fugue state today, especially grabs before you go into the world. If you're continuing to live with a false identity, you'll lose your faith. But if your identity is rooted in Jesus Christ, you'll be secure. And so right now, our application for our Christians today is this, is to be honest about what it is that you find your identity in. How do you answer the question, who am I? And what I want you to do is confess that to God today and confess that to someone that you're close to, a friend that can hold you accountable for that. Confess the thing that you find your identity in. And then, and this might frustrate you, but this is the only way we grow out of that, finding our identity in other things. It's rest in the gospel message. Grow in his message. Begin to immerse yourself in what Jesus has done for you. As your knowledge of the gospel grows, again, like Paul said, as he began to see who God was, he thought everything else was worthless in comparison. And I believe that same thing happens to us. As we spend our time seeking God, we begin to find the old things worthless. And now for those of you who haven't followed Jesus yet, why don't you start? He's so much better than the thing you find your identity in. He's so much better than your job, your relationships, your friends, your kids, whatever else. He's so much better. Will you find rest in Jesus? Will you find your identity in him? The gospel reveals that Jesus paid the high price so that we could be adopted in his family and be citizens of heaven. Will we find our identity in him? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your cross. 
Thank you so much for dying for us, Lord. I pray right now for people that were like me, God, that are like me now, God, living in a, and finding our identity in other things, God. I pray for our fugue state Christians, Lord. I pray that they would be real and confess the thing they find their identity in and begin to find their identity in you. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would begin their journey today. Lord, I pray that, that you would forgive them of their sins and that through faith in you, God, that they would be saved. Lord, I pray for all of us here. I pray that all of us would go into the world, Lord, living out your gospel message. I pray for our grads. I pray that they would be rooted in an identity in you. And Lord, we again just thank you for your cross, for dying the death we deserve for us, God. We love you. We're grateful for all you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Your application as you go is this. Again, confess the thing you find your identity in and then, and then immerse yourself in the gospel. I'll see you guys. Have a great week. Have a great 4th of July. God bless. What?